Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by Jodorowsky's Dune producer Steve Scarlatta and Josh Miller, where they explore some of the greatest movies that were never made, from E.T. 2 to Tim Burton's Superman, Night Skies to Star Trek The Academy Years. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of Star Trek, check out my new sci-fi TV series, Pandora, debuting on The CW and around the world on July 9th, starring Priscilla Quintana and Oliver Dench, and you can find out more by downloading the Unboxing Pandora podcast, available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts. Get ready to join the Inglorious Trexperts live at San Diego Comic-Con as they boldly go to the greatest Comic-Con on Earth. We'll be there, will you? Meet all your favorite and least favorite Inglorious Trexperts hosts as they talk Trek live and in person, only at San Diego Comic-Con. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Doctorman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. Have any more of your men died? We can't be killed. There's an alien aboard. It wants us alive. But no doubt you will reassemble after I have hacked you to bits. Welcome to We Need No Urging to Hate Klingons. We don't hate Klingons. I think we love Klingons, don't we? Well, we're about to find out with our special guest, returning champion, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett is here again. (laughs) Kapla. (laughs) And Ashley Miller has returned. Mark. Joy Choo. Oh, see, here we go. Maltz, beam me up. (laughs) Darren Document, hello. I don't have anything to say in Klingon. Neither do I. I, I. The original Klingon. Rob, do you remember? Do you remember when we went to a convention in Visalia? Oh, I remember it well. <laughs> we went. You were running that convention, was I? For, for yeah, for cri- uh, creation. Was that? Oh God! It was one you're... of your 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 uh, conventions in a box. You called them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, I did. Because back in the day when creation was doing like five conventions a weekend, this is many years ago. They hired some, you know, hosts. So, like, Gary would do one and Adam would do one and then they'd have Scott Mance off somewhere. And then on those weekends where they had, the, I would, I was like the, the fourth man, like Paul Verhoeven. And uh, <laughs> they would send me off. So, you know, I'd go to, it was great. I got to see a lot, go a lot of places I'd never been. Uh, you know, a lot of places that voted for Trump, unfortunately. But I, I was like in Albuquerque and I was in um, uh, Boise and, and Indianapolis and, uh, and Visalia. And, Central uh, California. Rob and I drove up there to do this convention. And literally, it was like they give you a list of where the dealers, the dealers, who the dealers are, where they go. And, um, and then I forget what else, uh, like a slide projector or something. I don't remember. Were the there any dealers of Kivas and Trillium? <laughs> yes, that's <is> right. <laughs> but it was good. I mean, you, you moderated discussions and that, they, yeah, they, no, they were great. And I mean, you know, I remember uh, one convention I did, uh, where, um, uh, basically Armin Sherman was the guest of honor and he couldn't get there, uh, because he was snowed in somewhere else at another convention. And, uh, so, like, everybody was like, you know, get antsy. The names were, what are we going to do? You know, the guest of honor isn't here. So I got Armin on the phone, and I made a big deal. Like, this is the first time anything like this has ever happened, and you're going to be a part of Star Trek history. And literally put him on speakerphone, 
and interviewed him by phone. And I said, you know, Armin, will you promise to sign everybody's autographs? And they'll, you know, and Creation will mail them to you, you know, and 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 they're like, yeah. And we turned into this big party, and so like nobody was like upset. It, it was really, it was quick thinking. It was, it was, it was officer thinking. But really, something so, happened to that Vesalia. But the Vesalia. <laughs> Tell us what happened to Vesalia. Well, we were there early. Yes, and we needed to get into where the convention was being held. I, I guess it was a, it was more of a, a a meeting room or something. It was some place that we had to get into. Probably some clan rally place. And I don't standing know. Standing at the door that we had to come through were were two Klingons in in full regalia with batlefs, and they were all ready to go. Very serious. Very serious about their, and they were having a meeting of their Klingon, their local Klingon chapter of the IKS, whatever ship they were. And they were not going to let us in this no, room. No, they had their batlets poised. No one passes the I Klingon mean, High Command. They crossed whatever. their batlets in front of us, and we're like, "Come on, guys! We're you know you were like we're we're here for the that, convention." They're like, "No, you know they were." <laughs> no, no, and 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 we were like, "Dude, wow. enough with this bullshit!" And we just like walked through like Moses. It was like they were like, "No one, thou shalt not pass." And it was like you know basically except for us. <laughs> At least give it up. I mean, as far as cosplayers go, they were really, they really immersed themselves in the part, which I always thought was sort of interesting because putting on that makeup, it kind of broke the fourth wall as a cosplayer, sort of. Could you ever really be a new Klingon? You know, I have to tell you, Rob, I've never really liked Klingons. And never will. And I never will. (laughs) (laughs) They're not my favorite Star Trek villains. Um, uh, You know, I always thought the Romulans were were more interesting. Um, I, uh, you know, I love the Cardassians. Um, I I love the Kazinti, the Kazin, love the Kazin. Um, uh-huh. and the Klingons, um, the Klingons, uh, you know, they were basically the Russians and goatees. Well, not originally. Well, tell me, tell me, what were they originally? Originally, they were the Chinese. They were the Chinese. That's where the goatees come from. The, the that, quote, unquote, the, Fu the, Manchu. The quote unquote Fu Manchu yeah. uh, on John Colicos as core. Um. They were originally, you know, sort of stand-ins for the Red Chinese. Red Chinese under Mao, yeah. And uh, it was, you know, it wasn't sort of the direct Russian connection. I mean, there was, you know, there's undertones, but... Mm, Go ahead. No, 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 that's all. I was going to say, because I always felt that the Romulans were the Chinese because they were much more... Long-term Strategic thinking. and long-term thinking, exactly. And that the, the Romulans were sort of the Chinese, and that the the um, Klingons were the stand-ins for the Russians, the Soviets, the Ruskies. Well, one of the things they certainly became that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, as a kid, Aaron of Mercy, which is the first time that we see the Klingons, a threat to peace. You people are in great danger. Sends the Enterprise on a mission of mercy. We are a simple people. You are now subjects of the Klingon Empire. Now, a battle for survival begins. We've got to neutralize the Klingon occupation. This is war. They're opening fire. A game we Klingons play to win. A classic track, a legendary confrontation. Lock on. Turn fire. Star Trek. Uh, and John Colicos, to me, is still the definitive, even to this day, even after General Martok, who I love, and of course, Worf and Gowron and, and all the beloved Klingons that we've seen, the way he played Kor, and and he was a, Kor was a smart, smart. guy. Yep. He was, I, I, the way he, uh, when he met Kirk in his Barona uh, guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. how he immediately, Kor had 
respect for Kirk, not knowing yeah. yet he was mm-hmm. a Starship captain. Mm-hmm. He was not some mustache twirling villain. He was a, a thoughtful, mm-hmm. as he was governor of Organia, you know, he was doing what he thought he had to do. He was a statesman. He was a warrior. He was sort of a diplomat. And he was a smart, smart, smart character. Yeah. And, and he was having fun. He liked being a Klingon. Right. You know, and at the end, when the Organians <laughs> reveal themselves, we've talked about this before, and and Kor, Kor's like, all right, I get it. We've got a super intelligent, super sophisticated, super powerful alien race that is not going to let us fight. But man, it would have been glorious. You know, he, <laughs> right. he and, and you, you love him. You love yep. the Klingons as much as they were foils. From that first moment, you just really, really, really like the Klingons. And Absolutely. Shall we point out that, that Kor, like Kang and Koloth, is a blockbuster because they all come back for Deep Space Nine's Blood Oath. Correct. Uh, and it was just, it was interesting to see those guys like in the new Klingon makeup um, and kind of how they were presented it just it kind of put all those episodes into a whole into a whole new light well that they were buddies you yeah know, exactly was, uh... they were like you know these samurai who kind of came together to do well, this funny. thing it's fantastic ahead, and it's it's interesting that how those three commanders were portrayed on the original show mm-hmm. they all three were extremely different mm-hmm. okay um uh core as you mentioned was uh was extremely smart and uh tactical and and witty and uh you know very determined in his job koloth played by william campbell in trouble with tribbles is sort of this uh comedic uh villain mm. you know he's he's the foil he's one of the foils for kirk you know and it's played as if he's been in you know like three other episodes right. but we've never we've never right. seen right. him right. before which I, I wish we had yeah absolutely and his henchman and his yeah his, yeah, his, his, his i'm not saying yeah, that the Enterprise should should be, be holy like frat boy Klingons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know they're kind of out there having a party. And who was it? Because they actually wanted uh, to bring back. Was it William Campbell as uh, as Koloth? As Koloth. They wanted so. to bring him back, and then they made a Kang because he wasn't available. Right, right, right. Yeah. In in uh, 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 the episode with Kang. Uh, yeah, in Day of the Dove. Day of the Dove. Yes. Day of the um, Dove. He he actually is. Sort of the closest to what we consider the modern Klingons portrayal, almost animalistic, very militaristic, very uh, gruff, and uh, you know, uh, honorable, and uh, but also sort of you know that animal quality. But the first time we saw a Klingon married. Well, and that's he had true. Fine taste in women, I must Almero, say. Oh, Mara, yeah. Well. <laughs> and, and, she wore a little too much makeup, but other than that, what was great though about at the end of Day of the Dove is you kind of saw Kang doing the same thing that Kor did at the end of Aaron of Mercy. Right. When it's revealed what's going on, another super intelligent, crazy right. alien getting race, in the way of the war. Form, he, they, Kirk, and him laugh it off again. Right. You know, the, the the Klingons again were not. At the end, they're not. They're not just again. They're not villains. No. They were antagonists. It's, right. it's kind like of you can have a beer great... with them at the end of the it's day. It's kind of like the that, old, and the that old Warner Brothers cartoon yes. with the sheepdog and the wolf. You know, how's your mom? Checking Ed? in in the morning. <laughs> you know, how's your mom, Kirk? Dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, look, I would agree with you guys to a point because I love all those characters. However, I do not like Crass, who was Ty Andrews' Klingon in um, Friday's Child. The worst. He right. was terrible. He was awful. terrible. 
And that to me, he looked like a truck driver. Not nothing against <laughs> truck drivers, but he looked like the especially tri- uh, you know Kurt Russell. Right, right, uh, for sure. Yes. Jack Burton, Kurt, Kurt Russell, Russell would be an look awesome. Like, I, I agree with you. That was a Klingon. He was, he was. I didn't like him even as a kid. I'm like, this Klingon's an idiot. Right, he was an idiot. He was. You knew as a kid this guy was right. terrible. You know, it's like he looked like he should have been drinking a six pack of beer or, or, or a half rack of beer at home. He had no business being on Capella Four. What the hell was he doing there? Mm-hmm. And it's funny because they didn't even like him. The Capellans were like, who's this douchebag? Why is he here? What Ty Andrews says is untrue, and we do not hear his words. (laughs) I mean, you know, and then then also you have also in Private Little War Mm -hmm. another Mm -hmm. sort of dud Klingon. Right, right. Um, it's so interesting because, you know, at first when we were starting to do this episode, I was thinking, you know, same things, uh, Trouble with Tribbles and, 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 and Day of the Dove, which is sort of a definitive Klingon episode. And then I start thinking about, and I'm like, oh, but, you know, there were Klingons in a private little warm fried child, too. And they were pretty lame. Yeah. <laughs> what about in Elaine of Troyes? Do we see the Klingon, the, the captain? There's the, What's the we, captain we that we do saw? We do see him on, on the view screen. Yeah, and, and he's kind of a douche, too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, whenever you know what was interesting when the Klingons were not written well, right? When they were written as one-dimensional, the thing about about Kang, Koloth, and Kor is that they were the they were the the antagonists of the episode. Right. right. They had a real relationship with Kirk. A real relationship with Kirk, and they were much more well-rounded characters. And we were dealing with them as they were the, they were the guest stars of those episodes. And and there was a lot of time and I think effort put into how they were written. And Klingons have always been. They're only as good as how they're written. Mm-hmm. And if, if they're ever turned into one or two-dimensional villains, I don't think they work. They're too mustache-twirling. They need dimensionality. But it also has to do with the actors that are brought in to Absolutely. play them. Because uh, it can be argued that uh, the Friday's Child Klingon uh, had some, you know, good character things to say and would have worked with a better actor, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but he he was he just played it so smarmy and goofy, right? That it just isn't believable. And <laughs> can you imagine Deep Space Nine brought those guys back? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's really interesting to me is is the transition and having lived through this for Star Trek the Motion Picture. Right. I when I first started seeing pictures of the Klingons, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, "What the hell is going on? What what is this?" But it wasn't until I, and. I, between reading the novelization and then seeing the film, the Klingons in Star Trek The Motion Picture, speaking Klingonese, their, right. their language, mm-hmm. I loved them right. because they were smart, their ships were dangerous, mm-hmm. they were they were technologically advanced, and these guys were going where angels fear to tread. I right. mean, they, they were They had a charging. badass theme song. They had a, yeah. the most badass theme song ever. But you have Mark Leonard, of course. Mm-hmm. Mark Leonard, who played Sarek and who played the Romulan commander in Balance of Terror, comes back and plays a Klingon, right. the first actor to play all three. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, for the cycle. Klingon, Romulan, Vulcan. Right. Yeah. And and uh, it, it was it, it was a, a different look, but they, they had an elegance to them. There was a quality right. in Star Trek The Motion Picture, even though they looked different. I got it, even as a kid. I, I wasn't like being a canonista back then. Yeah. I'm thinking... You know what? There, who's to say there's not different races in the Klingon Empire sure. that we haven't seen before? It didn't bother me because it because they were still elegant and efficient and smart. 
right. as it much as they could be. Like the right evolution, that they were on a different continent or sure. whatever. But it was cool. They looked like yeah. Klingons. They right. looked like, like Klingons. You and, know why? Because they're in ships that look almost exactly like the ones on the show, well, but better. Thought, and that's one of the great ships. We always talk about, yeah. look, the Matt Jeffries Enterprise design. But the Katinga-class Klingon cruiser is awesome. Is Awesome. Yeah, just like the Enterprise was souped up and looked incredible in the mm-hmm. motion picture, those battle cruisers, man, the upgrade from the the D seven was. It, it, well, their it, their basic DNA of those designs was just amazing. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. For what it's worth, my thinking about the uh, the movie Klingons, like now, admittedly, I was but a child, so I had simple thoughts. <laughs> a Friday's it, child. A Friday's child uh, was. Oh, these must just be the movie Klingons. That's exactly. <laughs> and, that, right. and I just went. I just went with it, and right. I was in. Yeah. You know, and I kind of I found them scary, which I think was kind of the point. that's the point. Yeah, it's the point is remember these guys. You they were they were the villains right. back in back in the old days, and our visual and they're was back, the ship. and you know how badass they are, yeah. and they're still badass. Uh oh, there's something even more badass. Right. They just got wiped out by yeah. this cloud three in like twelve not seconds. One, not two, yeah. but three. And if those ships could get wiped out, I mean, it, it, it was so brilliant because it immediately established the threat. Right. Like this V'ger clot, whatever. We didn't even know it was V'ger. This, if, if you wanted to immediately establish a threat, yeah, this is our Trek biggest universe, threat from the TV series, and it's eliminated in the first five gone. minutes. Yeah, I mean, from a from a filmmaking or storytelling point of view, there's no there's no better way uh, to go, and which which is what really bothered me about Christopher Lloyd in Star Trek Three. I think the Klingons have been irrevoc- irrevocably harmed by the portrayal of them in Star Trek Three. Captain, what is happening? We're under attack. Stand by for evasive. Come on, pull! Shoot in there! But stop! Sir, may I suggest? Say the wrong thing, Torque! If it's prisoners you want, there are life signs on the planet. Perhaps the very scientists you seek. Very good. And not just Christopher Lloyd, but also, frankly, because it became the go to, the bird of prey. Which, look, on some level, I get it, I dig it, except that it felt like it was wrong. It felt like it the, was wrong. It, it was, was an actual mistake that wasn't. Okay. The, it came from the original. We R- talked. It was supposed to, to be like a Romulan ship? It, it was supposed to be a Romulan ship. It was right. designed as a Romulan ship because just, the Romulans were the original. The Romulans actually had a ship. Called the Bird of Prey. Right. Yes, exactly. it's on the model but, kit. Right, but <laughs> the scale of it just made it feel like the Enterprise was punching underneath her weight class. Yes, you know, so it it, it kind of it undercut the, the threat. Like it and was also fine the Bird of Prey thing for me. that scene yeah. at the beginning where um, they pick up the data. Like, right. you know, when they're on, like, a spy mission. Like, oh, it's like a little glorified shuttlecraft yeah. or something. You know, and then, and then what was her name? Valer- Valeria? Valeris. Valeris. Valkris. Valkris. Val- yes. You know, Valkris. You. Did you look at it? Yes. Oh, well, then goodbye. Unfortunate. <laughs> but I'm even sorry. That was, even that was, like, <laughs> stupid. Yeah. Even as yeah. a kid, I'm like, what? You've got a great undercover operative. She's done your job. She had to look at it to make sure the data was correct. I'm like, what? She's supposed to give you something she hasn't looked at to make sure it's, it's valid, like what you want? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it was. I, and here's yeah. the thing: 
they had to make Christopher Lloyd. I understand he's Christopher Lloyd. He's got to be, but but he had a dog on the bridge and and just he, like Captain he, Archer, he he kills he kills his own men when they target. Unfortunately, just like Captain Archer. I, I mean, it's just it was unfortunately this, <laughs> this. I think is the influence of Leonard Nimoy. Because Leonard Nimoy, always in the back of his mind, thought that Star Trek was for kids. I mean, for all the all the you know the big thoughts, the high he, he always words, the high the sounding words. words. He always felt that it was a kids show, hmm. and this is how he portrayed it in Star Trek Three, with these you know you can't take these uh, bad guys seriously because they're kind of comedic villains. And, you know, casting uh, Chris Lloyd in it really pushes that, you know, to the nth degree. All that they've loved, all that they've fought for, all that they've stood for will now be put to the test. Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. The word, sir? The word? Is no. I am therefore going anyway. You do this, you'll never sit in the captain's chair again. Engage auto systems. Clear all moorings. Cleared, sir. One quarter impulse power. Someone is stealing the Enterprise. Warp speed. Sing Alberta Bracer. She's arming torpedoes. Shields up. The shield's not responsive. Fuck! We're a sitting duck. Join us on this, the final voyage of the Starship Enterprise. Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. The adventure continues. It's so funny. How great would it have been if that was like William Campbell or John Calicos or something like on that? On a contingent class cruiser. Or, or some, you know, someone with gravitas, you like know. Like Christopher Plummer. Or, yeah. You know, Bobby De Niro. As <laughs> yeah. I just resent that a tiny little bird of prey wiped out not one, but two Enterprises. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. It's like it's it's, it's a, not that impressive a ship. It's just no. not. And it belongs to the Romulan. And then you have to retcon the whole thing. Well, the well, Klingon Romulan Alliance and they got these from the Romulans. Well, and yeah. Technology sharing. Of course, you know, that that start that started in the third season when they couldn't find the Romulan ship. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, they couldn't find the miniature for the Romulan ship. It had disappeared. Oh, I thought it was because of the stock footage. No, really, no, they couldn't find the miniature to shoot Oops. it again. So Romulans now using Klingon design. So they come up with that line to explain it. Wow, I never knew that because. So you're saying that after Balance of Terror, yeah, which is the only time we saw that Romulan that's ship, correct. they lost the miniature. Yes, and that's why all of a sudden in third season, that's you, you have these. But they did use stock footage in another episode. From Balance of Terror. Oh yeah, well, yeah in, but, uh, but it, it's uh, that one years, shot of it. Yeah. That one shot of it coming toward the uh, uh, the ship. That's it. Wow. Because the Romulans have broken code too. Sure. <laughs> so um, that's that's really interesting. So that's what the whole Klingon Romulan alliance yeah. and how they ended up with yep. Klingon ships. Yep. Wow, that's weird. Well, you know, then it's it's interesting because in Star Trek Four, 
you wind up with the the, the bird of prey, the the uh, the HMS right. bounty, uh-huh. right. <laughs> the becomes the hero ship, right? You know, and yeah. and, and suddenly, yeah. so everyone, oh, the bird of prey now, yeah. let's take it to San Francisco. Everybody remember Another where we parked. Another reason I hate that movie. Uh, yeah, and and then by the time we get uh, to me, the worst the worst Klingons of the movie series, even worse than Christopher Lloyd, was in Star Trek Five. Yeah, yeah, Spice Williams and what the and hell? What was his man? name? She has wonderful muscles. Oh, they were no Captain threat Claw. whatsoever. But she did have wonderful muscles. Yeah, Captain Claw. Well, but you talk yeah. about not so taking it terrible. seriously again. They Star looked Trek like 5 professional wrestlers. Doesn't t- they were professional wrestlers? Oh, okay, well, I, I think do it. doesn't yeah. take them seriously. <laughs> as, Never mind. Uh, you know, as 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 antagonists, because I guess in their mind the antagonist was God. Right. You know, so the Klingons were just foils. Well, what Ca- does God need? Todd Bryant, Captain Claw. Todd right. Bryant and yeah. Spice Williams, as um, as what's her name. Uh, they were just terribly directed. Yeah. Yes, they Vixus. were just all gestury. Right. And... But then we get to yeah. Star Trek Six, and we've got well, some... and you forgot the yeah. other Klingon in the on the planet of Galactic Peace. Right. Oh, oh right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That was who uh, was also who was Charles played Cooper. by Charles Cooper, who we yeah. later see uh, uh, as the Klingon Chancellor in Next Generation. Yeah. Right. And, and also John Shute as the Klingon John ambassador. Shuck, right. Who is, again ridiculous? Yeah. Why are you casting all these comedians? Right. Right. You know. Yeah, first of Who all, denied? you cast Christopher Lloyd, and then John Shuck, who was known, you know, for like what was the stupid oh, robot show, Holmes and, Holmes and Yo-Yo, <laughs> well, and 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 you know was a because, comedian because of FOL, Friends of Leonard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know what though, John Shuck had a badass uniform. He did. He looked, he looked great awesome. as the Klingon ambassador, and I did love. His portrayal, actually, I love. We demand the extradition of Kirk. We, we demand, demand justice. justice. It, it, I mean, see, you can you can say it just like he said it in the movie. <laughs> I mean, the architects of these crimes when he's talking about terror. What does he say? He says uh, terrorist, renegade, renegade and, terrorist. and terrorist. Well, what was good is he did not play a warrior. He played a fatuous gas bag. Right. right. You yes. know, so it was sort of the right. In that case, it was more the right casting right. because he was an ambassador who was larger than life, and you know, just making up this whole story about why they should. You know, uh, uh, Kirk had to be uh, extradited, right. and you even know. the way he gesticulated. Yeah. You know, he was he was great. But, I, I I loved him. But come on, let's let's be fair to him too. He's core compared to the idiots in Star Trek Five. Yes. Oh yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah. they're terrible. They yeah. are just but awful. Star Trek Six, chock full of awesome Klingons. Chock full. Well, but of then, again, awesome Nick Klingons. Meyer knew you needed to give it half, and he was also, the one. However, oh, yes, boy. the Klingons in Star Trek Three. Are really cartoony. Oh, yeah. Really cartoony. Right? When Malt Choi choose, like. No, no, no. No. Star Trek 6. You said 3. You oh, said three. Six. I'm sorry. <laughs> Make up your mind. <laughs> Don't wait for the translation. <laughs> Answer me now. <laughs> they, are, they are playing it so broad, and the secondary Klingons are. Dreadful. Well, hang on, hang on. No, hang on. We need to back I, up. I disagree. Wait, wait, wait. wait. We have to back up. We can't. We can't go to six yet because six is ninety-one. We got to right. talk about nineteen eighty-seven. Right. No, no. We'll come back to next gen because I, I, he just said something very controversial. Yeah. I think Morgan Shepard as the commandant on Rorapente is awesome. great. Christopher great. Plummer is fantastic, awesome. and David Warner is great. Yep. Great. And even oh. Rosanna DeSoto. Oh my God. As his daughter was adequate. Terrible. Wow. Terrible. As it bore is great. I what? Oh She's my great. god. No. No, I, I don't know what movie you guys saw. The Star uh, Trek Six, the Star Undiscovered Six. Country. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the Undiscovered Country. What is it? Dach Bech, no, Dach I, Bech, and I love you know Nick Meyer to tells the story about how he we need heard breathing room. How he heard Earth, um, Hitler, 1938. You know, he heard Chris Plummer do Henry V. Right. And he said, Well, if I'd cast him as 
the Klingon, I can hear him do Henry V whenever I want. You and I can give him all the Shakespeare to say, which is how all that inappropriate Shakespeare ended up because he loved seeing Christopher Plummer perform Shakespeare. So he just gave him all these ridiculous Which is ludicrous. I, I, that I agree. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so he gives him all. Whereas Star Trek II, all the quotes, you know, the the Milton and yeah. and, and, and Moby Dick and all that, they that come, was fine. They and, and, right. City, and they're almost all great. The Dickens stuff. But in Star Trek VI, it's completely it comes, unnecessary. Yeah. yeah. But still, I mean, I loved David Warner, you know, coming off of uh, he, uh, Sinjin Smith or whatever in the Planet Sinjin of Glass. Right? Uh, Sinjin Tall, but the Planet <laughs> no, of Glass. Sinjin Smith is the, was is the in, volleyball. Sinjin Hawk. Yeah, no, he's was in the view to kill. Oh, okay. Right, right, that's right. But I but I think that, that the- That was uh, Roger Moore's, I, I Sinjin Smith. <laughs> <laughs> My brain. Uh, but I, I thought that-, that he he was elegant again. Another great, just like Roger Moore in A View to a Kill. Another great, sh- but 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 you know David Warner, Patrick Stewart tells a story about how the great Hamlet, one of the great Hamlets he'd ever seen, was David Warner mm-hmm. on the on the British stage. And he that was also one of the great Cardassian interrogators. Yes, oh, he was. And oh, that's so when they, he couldn't good. believe Patrick Stewart couldn't believe they got him to play. Uh, I have no problem with David Warner. I love yeah, David do. Warner. I like his acting in almost everything else. Except Star Trek Six. Don't let this end. It's, Come on. It's so it's so You just hate for- that movie. I do. It's so forced and on the nose BS that and and, and the Klingons look terrible really because feel? their costumes are so cheap looking. They're so cheap looking. They had no money. I don't care. Shang is pretty it's not that cheap. No, on, he's King. not. He's not. He's stupid. He's he's not smart. Look, not I like Star Trek V, but Star Trek V is cheap looking. Star yeah. Trek VI is Absolutely. not cheap looking. And you've got the the Klingon, the the Worf is his own grandson, right? Oh, or my, grandfather, which is his own grandpa. This is not is, Klingon. Blood. And, then, and then you've got the 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 the, the, the judge yeah. who's presiding over the trial. Terrible. Oh, terrible! I loved all that stuff. They created this whole mythology with the ball that the the orb phantasm that he smashes on the the thing, and they have the trial, the 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 mock trial, and then you know the whole Merpente mythology is interesting, and the the prison camp and this. Yeah, but it's 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 ripped off. It's ripped off from you know tons of other stuff. But so Star Trek itself. Yeah, but not directly. I don't know, man. There's there's some great yeah, I, stuff I to like, but six. look, we Bring have back to Lucas Kendall. Look, we have He's to not go, as negative. We have to go back. We have to go back and talk about the first season of of Next Generation yes, we do. because okay. not only do we introduce a character that Roddenberry always thought was not part of the main cast, right, right, and that when they when and they he wanted, wasn't until when, like they, when they wanted to do before. Sins of the Father in the third season of Next Generation, Roddenberry at first said no. You know, he didn't want. You can't do and redemption. I don't think we should do anything about Klingons yeah, Ron, ever again. I think really. to this day, still does not realize Worf <laughs> is a main character. Absolutely, like they pulled this. It's so funny. He I'm did not sure Gene Roddenberry doesn't he know. Wanted, he had a lot to prove <laughs> with Next Generation. He could do it again. He didn't want to use any elements from the original. And, and let's face it. He always had a bad feeling about the Klingons because he didn't come up with them. Right, because it was Gene Coons. You're yeah. absolutely right. And so. It was Jussman and David Gerald and DC who were pushing. They said, look, you know, the wall was coming down, glass knot was happening, it was the late eighties. Um, and they're like, wouldn't it be great in 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 the, the you know, look at Star Trek and Star Trek has always been so progressive, you know, African American on the bridge, you know, Asian. Um, let's have basically you know, a Russian, but mm-hmm. you know, wouldn't it be great to show now that the Klingons, our enemies, are now our friends? Right. And um 
And and they convinced him. He said, as long as he's just like sort of the security guy, like he's sort of in the background, he's not that important a part of the show. Yeah. And even years later, when they were pitching Klingon shows, Gene would be saying, "Yep, that you know, we oh, don't we don't need to go that that route again." Yeah, he's not he really was, a regular. Michael Dorn was the last person cast right before they started yeah. shooting the the pilot. But but I think again. One of the great modern Klingons, one of the great unsung modern Klingons, is in Heart of Glory. Oh, is Von Armstrong when right, they yes. when they when they unfreeze those Klingons when when Von Armstrong is talking to Worf and trying to get them to get Worf to come back and mm-hmm. and 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 find his his Klingon side. Don't you feel it? You know, the calling the yeah. in the blood. I mean, that was that was as good a Klingon as we've ever well, seen. I, I think that was probably the the. The first time, or one of the first times, that the next generation, like the needle, actually moved for me Absolutely. that is Star Trek. Yep. Absolutely, yes. Heart uh, of Glory is definitely one of the, the highlights I, I, of the first season. I was going to say, I completely agree that you know until that point, you're just every week. When is it going to be Star Trek? Praying, you're saying to yourself, when is this show going to get good? And there are only a few episodes, one, one, zero, zero, one, zero, zero, one. And we talked about conspiracy. Right. Half a conspiracy is good. Um, big and, goodbye. you know, big goodbye is fun. Big goodbye. Uh, super fun. But it was Heart of Glory where yeah. you really said, oh, oh, this is Star Trek. And this is interesting. This could yeah. be, this show could be good. And and it's it's really um, great casting. And we were talking in a previous episode about how they've never had a good Vulcan since the original series. You mm-hmm. know, they've never been able to cast a good with Next Generation, you got to hand it to Michael Dorn. Yeah, for sure. Michael Dorn is so good as Worf, and the evolution that that character went through, the growth that character went through, not only through Next Generation, but then through Deep Space Nine, is extraordinary. Well, it's it's funny to see uh, Worf in the pilot episode, uh, sort of you know jumping around the bridge trying, trying to, to shoot, shoot the view screen through, through the view screen. <laughs> you you acted fast, Lieutenant, but futilely. <laughs> <laughs> Permission to clean up the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I look. I agree with you in watching his. Like, he, there's a great scene and uh, between Pulaski and and Worf mm, mm-hmm. when they're when they are doing the Klingon tea ceremony. And there was even talk. Michael Dorn was talking about how he thought. He says it in our documentaries. He thought that if Pulaski had stayed, that Worf and her would have had a relationship. Mm. You know, of somehow, some kind. I can see that, and and because of the mutual respect, yeah, and, and, and she and, understood him better than anybody. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I think though that you know we saw in Heart of Glory when when the Klingon dies, and there's the first indications of things like Stovacor, and right. they all the the Klingon cry right. out, warning the afterlife that that a Klingon warrior is some on his great way. Expanding yep. of the universe knowledge. Right. Yeah. Right. And and as. Look, the storyline they began with 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 Kalar mm-hmm. in the uh, in the second season with his his mate, and then Sins of the Father was Amazing. to me when yeah. mm-hmm. the beginning of Next Generation going off on its own and establishing but itself. Wasn't was that the week like, after yesterday's Enterprise? Yes. Like it was boom, boom. Yeah. One yeah. After and the I, other. I, look, I just want to say though, the thing is, it's really interesting, is because suddenly the Klingons, who hadn't I think been the Russians, become the Japanese. They right. become mm-hmm. they become the Romulans. They become all about honor, which was right. weird. It came out of nowhere because that had nothing to do with the original series. No, right. but it was an interesting mythology. And Heart of Darkness sort of teased it up. But Roger Moore, Roger Moore, and Ron Heart of Moore really brings it home. And 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 Ron Moore from then on out, starting with Sins of the Father, you know, becomes the Klingon guy, right? And 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 deepens and enriches 
this mythology to make them so compelling. And, and, and once again, Deep Space Nine just takes it to a whole nother level. Can we talk just a little bit about yesterday's Enterprise? Because in a way- There's no the, the Klingons cl- in that. Yes, there are. <laughs> yeah, because we're at yes, war there with the are. Klingons. It's like, oh. There would be no yesterday's Enterprise without the Klingons. And so much of, um, of what happens with the Klingons uh, moving forward in Next Generation really stems from, uh, from, from yesterday's Enterprise, which is kind of fascinating. But I just, I love the idea. It is, it is so elementally Star Trek to say that the premise of yesterday's Enterprise is that if one ship, one Federation ship, um, is destroyed defending this Klingon outpost from the Romulans, then maybe, mm-hmm. you know, that's the hope right. that can change the universe. And it's just, to me, it's just, it's the thing that's most powerful about it. Is uh, Other than, obviously, there's a lot of great character moments. It's just great storytelling. It's so um, kind of tight and compact. Um, and it just kind of puts you, like, into the scene. But I just love that. Mm-hmm. Because that was the moment that the the Klingons went from, wow, those guys are kind of really interesting and when done well, kind of scary and cool, to, oh, no, no, they are also important. So it, it was just, I don't know, I just, I love that episode on that level. Yeah, and Ron Moore did a lot of uncredited work on that episode. Um, and, and, and you can see it because uh, you're right. I mean, it's just, it's extraordinary to see the way that the um, uh, alliance is born with the Klingons and, and, and what it comes out. It comes out of a desire to help, you know, the Federation uh, working you know, even their enemy that they, they want to help. They want to extend help. the, the, you know, the, even though these are our enemies and we're told to Send fear them and that, the, the, you know, we, we, we offer an outstretched arm. And that's a very important, I think, message even today, especially today. Uh, and, and, and yesterday's Enterprise. So while it is sort of the mirror universe version of Star Trek and it has the great, of next gen, it has these great fight scenes and all this action and everything. At its heart, it has a really important story in the great Star Trek tradition. Absolutely. And, and then the next week, though, the Klingon mythology is really established. Yep. You go to Kronos, mm-hmm. you see the Klingon High Council, you see the machinations and the backstabbing and how they're covering up a crime. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, 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 this culture that's talking about honor suddenly is like, they're not so honorable as we are led to believe. Well, it I becomes mean, Shakespeare. It becomes right. Shakespeare, I mean, in grand fashion. I remember by the end of Sins of the Father, that the scene with discommendation when everyone awesome. turns their back on Worf, you know, and he accepts Very he powerful. accepts this to, to save the Empire. It's incredible. Sins of the Father was incredible. I remember wow. even... John Tesh. Yeah, John Tesh <laughs> is in it. And you got to remember, though, that doesn't exist without Second Season's Matter of Honor. Yep, right. Where... We get to see the flip side of what it's like to be on a Klingon ship, and of course, first establish Tony Todd, yeah, who right. ends Tony up Todd. becoming an important part of this whole Worf uh, storyline going forward. And since the father is probably the best of that, because as that arc continues, it becomes sort of less and less like redemption, the two-parter, it, 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 I don't think dramatically works nearly as well as Sins of the Father no. does. Right, which P.S., by the way, directly ties yesterday's Enterprise and... Um which we call it, and sins of the father. Well, because they're, well, the problem is they're all later on hindered by this ludicrous character of Sela. Yeah. Um, you know, which is like, how do we get Denise Crosby back? Well, you know what? You walked from the series. <laughs> Sorry, you know, but instead, like, you know, it was great having her back in yesterday's Enterprise, but then to 
concoct this ridiculous mythology of like, well, she was captured and they had a baby who's a Romulan who looks just like Denise Crosby. And it's just, and then to make her a big part of unification, uh, you know, with, with Leonard, you got Leonard Nimoy back yep. and you're wow. going to tie that to this ridiculous ham-fisted story with Denise Crosby. Because I think unification is a train wreck. It is a train it wreck. Is. Some train of it wreck. is a train wreck. No. This, oh, there's some good but, stuff no. in there. Some of it is good, but it's generally a train wreck. The scene with us, again, with Sarek is, I I love that scene. But, but, but anyway. But look, I mean, the whole, <laughs> but between this is giving. This show about our love of studs. But yeah. between, but between Kalar, you know, and bringing her back and Worf having a son, I liked all of that stuff. Mm. I thought it worked well dramatically. I thought that it was really interesting that that Worf. It made sense that he was he was Alex. He the Roshenkos were his parents, his Russian parents. He was his Russian Jewish parents. His Russian Jewish parents after you know his the Kittimer massacre. And I mean, how funny is that? Uh, Theodore Bikel mm-hmm. and Georgia Brown as his parents. That was great. It was great. It was just. It was great. And and again, they did so much. Again, Michael Dorn. Uh, it's amazing that this character Roddenberry didn't think was ever really part of the the main seven characters yeah. on Next Generation, the Magnificent Six, and Worf. <laughs> it became it really became the Picard Data Worf show. Oh, yeah. for sure, yeah, he yeah. was basically you know the big Lebowski's rug. He ties together the whole room. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about um, his transition onto Deep Space Nine was that well, I think it was really great for. DS9's ratings, there was, look, fandom always has um, a reactionary element. Uh, and it was it was interesting um, to me that, that there was this element of fandom that kind of rejected not only Worf's appearance on the show because now he's taking real estate from the other characters, but also, well, now like we're dealing with the Klingons instead of all the things with the Dominion War. Um, but... What was really smart about how they managed that on Deep Space Nine was how they how they made that an asset. You know how they like, they really turned that into into something that helped their own arc by by going deeper with the Klingons by kind of reaching back to them as a as a source for stories. And we got to see them in Deep Space Nine in a way that we didn't quite see them on the Next Generation because we we really got to live with them um, and the consequences of um, of the things that they did and sort of we did with them in ways that we didn't quite. In next gen, we had to wait for the special two-parters or the the very special episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Well, we also got, which I, I agree with you, but we also got as part of that Klingon, the whole Klingon arc in next gen. You got Lursa and Bator. You got to see two scheming Shakespearean Klingon women, you know, who also had incredible costumes. I mean, mm-hmm. I love their costumes. On you got you just Ro- love because it was a giant cleavage in every it. costume. And then you got Robert O'Reilly playing Gowron, Jesus, yeah. who becomes Chancellor of the, the who who survives the Klingon Civil War just by the skin of his pants. And we see him. Robert, like, stop looking at me. You got the bug eyes. <laughs> oh, he was oh, great. He was great. And, 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 and you, you know, you find out about about. Uh, Skullduggery going on that keeps going on that that is it plays out through both Next Gen and Deep Space Nine, and um, then in Deep Space Nine you get Martok introduced. One hundred percent. One of the love General Martok. Greatest General Martok's one of the great, if not the greatest of all the modern Klingons that we've seen. One hundred and one of my favorite Star Trek characters. Period. Period. And the way he's introduced is amazing. You think you've met him, but you really haven't in, in Robert Wolf's two-parter Brilliant. when you find out that Gowron it was a change. I mean, a Martok's a changeling. changeling. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Whoops. Sorry, kids. And then kids. they find him in Purgatory Shadow and by Inferno's Light. Yep. My, my favorite Deep Space Nine two-parter. Love those. Love those episodes. Um, you know, by the way, so a, uh, a counterpoint 
to all of this is Belana Torres. Now, nothing against um, against her. Belana Torres that, was the half Vulcan, a half a Klingon, half human character in Voyager. For those of you who don't Roxanne know, Roxanne Biggs Dawson. And look, now there was nothing about her TV director. Her, yeah, exactly. It, it's nothing about her portrayal or her performance. I think, but her her Klingon nature always felt bolted on. Right. Um, that any time that came up in any way, an I, afterthought. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Like it was just oh, and then they she forgot no about Susie it. She had a Clarkson. bumpy head. Right. Well, who is? Nobody. She's awesome. She was awesome. the Mark Leonard of Next Gen because she played a Vulcan, right. and then she also played a Klingon, and uh, that's what she played. <laughs> <laughs> and she played Mark Leonard, which is really weird. But she was awesome. Kayla was awesome. She yeah. she was great, and then she appeared on other Star Trek shows as well. But I really, God, she was great as Kalar. Oh. I, I mean, the scene where Kalar is killed. Is oh just... my God, so good. She was so good. Like you could have just you could have made her a regular on the show. And the way she would dress down Worf. For sure. Yeah. She would bust his playing on It was awesome. Yeah. But you were saying about um that you felt that uh, the character of uh played Bil- by Roxanne Bolanatorez Bolanatorez Voyager was less effective. Yeah, you know, and it had nothing to do with the with the performance. It was just you know, whenever uh, her Klingon nature came up, it was basically because I guess that you know the problem with Klingons is that they have some sort of like impulse control disorder, and that was her thing. Like she's got a temper. She needs to go to Bolana this week on Voyager. Bolana Torres goes to anger management, and that's not really you know the thing that's interesting. <laughs> so you about think them. they needed a counselor on board? Yeah, they totally did. Uh, but no, I think there was just there was nothing about her that felt inherently Klingon, except that every time you looked at her, you saw the But they didn't service head. that character well. Casey, no, they, they did. Something they like didn't serve, the service Barge. a lot of characters about well Barge. on that show. Well, the, problem, the biggest problem with Voyager is it was a show of Star Trek tropes. It was a copy of a copy of a copy. It's like Bolana Torres was their, was their sort of data, you know, half, right. a, a person that has their foot in one... One race and they're right until they had Jerry Ryan, seven of nine. It was like, well, yeah, I guess you know, she's kind of our Spock, right? You know, and then but we not really, she's like an angry Spock. I mean, that was uh, you know, Tom Paris was was really supposed to be the character from the first duty, which would have been much better. It was, it would have been much better. And and they just, well, they just (laughs) didn't, they didn't. The uh, my whole problem with Voyager was it was a, a half baked. Show with with too many cooks creating its too premise. Too many cooks. Don't. Yeah, and it's not. <laughs> but again, it got. It, it, it's more enjoyable than I remember. Oh my it god! Being. Did you just start seeing too many cooks? He did. What yes, is I that? Did. Like a, a ten-year-old reference? It's not yeah. that old, but yeah, that as old. opposed to the rest of our references. Oh, right. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he was, match yeah. Game, he was complaining. Ah, talk, no. Hey. He was. Yeah. Ta- he was. Too shake. No, he was saying that it was too recent. Oh, oh, okay. Well, in that case, but yeah, you know, it, it, you know, look what Rob says about Voyager, and, and Voyager has its passionate fans, and God bless them. But you know, the problem is it didn't really introduce anything, you know, new to the mythology. It didn't twist anything enough. It to make like, it interesting. Yeah. yeah. So we it. had the, you know, we had, we, we, you know, yes, it had a, a female captain, which was great. Sure. Uh, but then so many of the characters were just a pastiche of character traits yes. we'd seen on previous shows. There was nothing, you know, Data like, was a wholly original character, like unless you watch the Quester tapes. Right. It was yeah. a wholly original character, you know. So Next Generation introduced a lot of new 
mythology, not a lot of cool new stuff. Deep Space Nine clearly was, you know, like, woo, it was completely different. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was wacky different. And, and, and you know, it was a different way to do a Star Trek show. Voyager was, and, and because it didn't connect the same way that Next Generation did, Voyager was very much the conservative in thy image of Next Gen. Right. It was sort of as well, it was It was the Star Trek Mad Libs. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. you fill in the blank with this half human, half alien character. Uh, okay, uh, Klingon, I guess, uh, and and you know, fill in the you know the the a Vulcan right. of some kind. I don't care anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, the real problem too with Voyager, even though it's not pretty much, it, we're we're losing the the topic of Klingons, but. You know, they didn't the watch. They did not the, watch. The, they just the, lose the, the topic. Eventually. Just starts us. I mean, that's why when Lucas was saying, "Well, we're not talking about the music game." Guess what? You know? <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to the show. show. I always thought. I always thought. You know, I, I kept thinking about the words of the immortal Marcus Marcus Ramius in uh, in Marcus Voyager. Ramius. Oh, when Voyager, when, when, when Voyager went to the, I, I was thinking when, clear when, when, Cort- when Cortez went to the, the ships. <laughs> I, what I meant to say was, I always thought that Voyager would have been a much more interesting show if there was no chance of them getting home. That the point of what, that show should have been, how do we establish a Federation beachhead? How do we build a Federation in a lawless land? Like the Voyager should have been cut off from their homeland, and they're never going home. And now that we're here, what can we do to bring part of the Federation to this lawless land where so we find ourselves? Andromeda with a budget. Every idea I've Which ever heard for Voyager that they didn't do was better than what they did. You know, when you hear what Ron Moore wanted to do, you know, I, I think I think it's 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 it was it was great. You know, they said, oh, you know, a lot of people said earlier on the Marquis, the McKee and the Federation crew shouldn't have merged so quickly. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm, probably. At least that's your premise, right? That right. there these these antagonistic forces, you know, that you know, why is um Mulgrew the captain if you're not gonna be home for forty years? Wouldn't you have elections or you know, what entitles her? Ship. You know, uh and, and, and why are there not the implications of you're fighting your way back? You know, why where are you getting your supplies from? Right. You know, why is the ship not damaged from week to week? Uh, you know, why, why, why aren't you dealing with all this stuff? And you know what Ron Moore what you wanted to do was he wanted to, you know, basically. He wanted to have consequence. He wanted to be Battlestar Galactica, yeah. which is great, which is what came out of Voyager in a sense. <laughs> right. He's like, I can't do it on Star Trek. I'll go do it on this show. Right. Um, and, and Galactica did it so much better. And, and what you said was making me think that when you when you said it's like, well, what if they couldn't get home? And it was sort of like the whole Galactica thing. What if we never find Earth? Should we just colonize this planet? You know, uh, oh, you know, we can't stay here. And, it, it, you know, we, we do colonize this planet. Uh-oh. And our enemies catch up with us, and now we're screwed. It's like all that stuff is so interesting. And I felt like, well, Voyager did have a chair of wonderful episodes. They were few and far between. But you could have actually seen. It could have been about the birth of the Federation. But not the birth of the Federation that we know in the past. It would have been a way to show how could the United Federation of Planets have been born, mm-hmm. but we're just seeing it in the future as opposed to watching a prequel show that sort of led up to that, which is what Enterprise right. was doing. How do you? How do we show taking our ideals into a place that doesn't have our ideals? Right. You know, like, which is what America has been trying to do in the Middle East for a hundred years. Right. 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 Well, not just America. Right, everybody, and you know, have have the Voyager go to a, a new planet every week and become gods and then leave. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And now it sort of turns into a thing where they they just sort of like they have like a roulette wheel of like, okay, god attributes, mm-hmm. like what's the miracle we're going to perform? And it's just like it's a it's a traveling sort of minstrel show of like incredibly high tech. 
Well, it says you could have done that new Caprica arc where you settle on a planet and right. you think you found Eden. And then here's the... And, oh, shoot, here are the Borg or here whoever. And, <laughs> right. And, you know, um, you know and, and the Voyager's being manned by a skeleton crew up in space. I mean, there's so many interesting things you could have you could have done. But there um, were no other Klingons on Voyager. Nope. <laughs> oh, yeah. Are we talking about the Klingons? <laughs> oh, yeah. Just just Belana Torres, and she was only half a Klingon. Right. So we should talk about Voyager half as much as the other shows. Right. Um, yeah. Strangely. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> look, I think we, uh, we, we talked about this. Uh, you know, when it comes to Deep Space Nine, no show has been better in terms of not only dealing with the Cardassians, but the, the Klingons, uh, starting sort of with Worf becoming a major character in The Way of the Warrior, which I don't love. Like no. I, I think it, it, they struggle to integrate Warf initially, but boy, when it starts to hit its stride in five, six, and seven, yeah. it's unbelievable. And those, and those characters of um, Martog, you know, and and uh, some of the other the the characters and and Casey Biggs is Goldemar. Oh, great character. So God, great. Martog and Riggs. Resist tomorrow. Resist Martog. until the last <laughs> Dominion soldier is driven from our streets. I mean, it's but. funny because you peel away the lead ensemble and you go to the second tier characters. Like, they're even better. You peel away the second tier character and you go to the third tier character. Oh, my God. Holy it's like shit, it's Jeffrey such Combs. a deep it's, bench. Yeah. It just never stops. And Jeffrey Combs and Jeffrey Combs. But it did stop. But it, it, but it, it shouldn't have stopped. But I mean, Can't you know, stop, you go, stop. you get, you got Andrew Robinson as 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 Garrick, uh, as Garrick and, and Simple you, Taylor. You know, you said Paul Casey Dooley Biggs. Paul is his dad. Jesus, right? And Nobrin <laughs> you know, Tain, great, great. Salome Jens is the founder, and it's just, I, I mean, the, that show is just impeccably cast in terms of, um, you know, almost every role. You know, I, I, Terry Farrell was terrific. You know, Renee Aubergeois, always a fine actor, and it was terrific as Odo in the, the Data character. And, you know, it's so funny when you think about that. Oh, we're never going to explain where he comes from. That's the great mystery of the show. And then, then they explain it. In a explain big way. It. And, and, but it's interesting because it, finally to having that, that triptych villain, too. Like, well, we know the Klingons. We know the Robins. We know the, let's do a villain which is multifaceted and where we have the founders and we have the Vorta and we have the... Um, the Jemadar. The Jemadar is our warrior cast. I mean, that's so interesting. Well, one of the things I think that Next Generation and did that I think was a mistake was I understand why they did it. From a production standpoint, they wanted you to know that, okay, these are Romulans, so they all have the same clothes. Right. You know, they all, right. They, they never had any, I mean, the Klingons in the original series were, they had military uniforms. I get that. But we, we got to see other different kinds of characters and and we went to the Romul we went to Romulus in unification and we and everybody had the same damn right, kind of clothes right. on and and I thought I understand they want you to immediately recognize them but there was a one dimensionality to the way alien races were portrayed on next generation that two dimensional sp- thinking yes <laughs> that deep space 9 really did a lot to alleviate all the alien races that you met from whether it was the Bajorans I mean there was all kinds of infighting I mean Frank Langella Right. You know, yeah, was in the yeah, yeah. opener of the second season three yeah. three parter, and, and, and Louise Fletcher. Yeah, yes. Louise Fletcher. You got to see multidimensionality in these alien races, and they did that for the Klingons. I mean, the Klingons. You got to, and the Romulans. You got to see they weren't one character trait. You could even argue, look, the Vulcans were logic. You know, right. the, the the Romulans were you know chess players. You know, playing things closely. But you know, the Klingons were always like they, they were the mustache twirling. You know, antagonists, and you know, deep. By the time you get to Deep Space Nine, it so deepens that and enriches that, and gives them 
so much going on where right. you know where it is sort of that kings and queens and you know and then they become our enemy for a while and then they become our allies again and of course the whole idea that a shape a shape changer has taken become you just couldn't understand why are they acting this way right and, right it's, it's great. Which was great. I mean, when that was revealed, you know, that the the it was all part of a changeling plot, then it all made sense. I mean, you're watching this going, okay, I get that. That was really, that was great. You know, and pulling the string on the Alliance, you know, which had been so much an important Star Trek part of Star Trek for the last 10 years mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, and then upend it. But, you know, but then when you have, and look what it did for Cisco, having these Klingon allies who were these powerful, larger-than-life actors, when he's fighting alongside these guys, it elevated Avery's performance. Right. Also, he had a, so did the beard and shaving his head. Yeah, no question. Yeah. No question. But it was great. Like, I used to love, like, the scenes in the in the whatever ready rooms or wherever they were meeting when you'd have Martok was in there with the other generals or, or uh, and, and Cisco, and they were plotting, how are we going to fight this war? And it was, it was great. There was so much testosterone, you could feel hair bursting from your chest as you, you, know, you watched You know what? Scenes. You guys have convinced me. I take it back. I do like the Klingons. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I said at the beginning of the show, I don't like the Klingons. But, you know, after we've discussed this now for about an hour, I have to say, I actually really like the Klingons. (laughs) You know, in fact, when I was doing, um, you know, I did the the Deep Space Nine comic book for a while uh, for Malibu. And, um, you know, when I think about it, the majority of the comic books that I did were Klingon stories. I did a miniseries called Hearts and Minds, which was... You know, it was all about the Klingons, and um, you mean the majority? Wow. Yes, that. Wow. Not majority. It's a little joke on. Oh, extremely little ensign. Get it? And uh, get it. <laughs> but you know, I, I you know I loved writing for, for 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 the Klingons, and you know, came up with some really 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 cool character. That was that was really fun, you know, um, and uh, and yeah, th- yeah, that was. I really, I, I liked writing for the Klingons. It was fun. Now, how did you guys feel then about bringing the Klingons into Broken Bow in the in the pilot for Enterprise, which I really didn't like. Uh, I didn't like it. Either. Uh, you know, they open that. Yeah, they open up yeah. the the open up Broken Bow Madness. with a Klingon after the the great scene of the model building, the father and son building right, the warp yeah. drive ship that you 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 have a Klingon crashing in the middle of the <laughs> wheat fields right and and it, it basically gets wounded or gunned down by a farmer I'm like right. it seemed to me so I don't know but it's an interesting pilot like I, I you know I think it is an interesting I think it's on a bad I, I think pilot. it's a pretty good pilot so uh you know look I understand the need you know it's the same way that Deep Space Nine used Wolf 359 you know in their pilot you take What's popular in Star Trek, you know, if you're going to roll out a series, you, you, you tend to find something that is beloved in the mythology. So I understand. Did it need it? Probably not. You know, I mean. They get back to Kronos in like three days. We can just traverse. Right. In a warp five it's ship. Because it's just, you know, it's in, I guess, you know, uh, San Bernardino or something. It just. <laughs> well, and then we learned. I mean, a- another thing. One of one of my favorite things that ever happened was in 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 Trials and Tribulations, the the anniversary show they did when they returned to Trouble with Tribbles. And oh, you see, you see the classic Klingons inside the you know wharf. They're all sitting there inside the bar where yeah. Cyrano Jones is, and yeah. and uh, those are Doctor Bashir's. Like those are Klingons. Yeah. 
And Worf's like, they are Klingons, and it is a long story. Like, and that's we do all not you have talk to know. It. That's all you need to know. And that's of course, all you need to know. You know, then in, it then in Enterprise, they they did. It's not a bad episode. In Enterprise, you you find out why that happened. Wholly unnecessary. But it's a augment virus that actually comes back to Khan Nooney and Sing uh, and Nooney and Sung. I mean, it's all all. It's such a weird. Every word you just said bores me. Not because it's you. <laughs> no, but it, you it was such a me, weird. Rob. Like they it, they, it, they it felt just... the need that they had to explain the difference, which I think a book like John Ford's The Final Reflection did a lot better when they talk about the Imperial Klingon race. Well, Ron right. Moore talks about that being a huge influence on him as a kid, and and that was sort of the ground zero for his Klingon mythology was that John Ford novel he read as a kid. The John Ford novel, The Final Reflection, is one of the finest Star Trek novels. It was a first-person story told from the perspective of a Klingon. It, and it was amazing. Um, I also want to say, you mentioned Enterprise. I don't think Enterprise did really anything for the Klingons, but where it does succeed in the way that Deep Space Nine defined the Cardassians, um, it, it, the Enterprise was really successful with the Andorians. And absolutely. You know, they did a lot with the Andorians and did it well, and that was its, I think, major contribution to the Rogues Gallery, or not even Rogues Shran Gallery. Shran was one of the great characters on that show. And uh, again, Shran turned out he was a villain at first, Kind of an antagonist, well, like all great Star Trek antagonists, he starts out as an antagonist and then becomes a reluctant friend and compatriot. Yeah, and, is that and, Jeff Combs? Yeah, again, again, again. right? So you know what, Mark Leonard, Leonard, forget it. It's yeah. like Jeff Combs. No, man. Jeff Combs became the Mark Leonard of new era Star Trek yeah. because he was playing. He played an Andorian after Susie Plank. He, <laughs> after <laughs> Su she was the distaff version of Mark Leonard. Right. Um, okay, so we get the first now. Uh, you know, before we wrap up this this episode, of course, Discovery has also um, has its take on the Klingon uh, mythology. Mm -hmm. You know, just really briefly, sort of what was your take on its approach to uh, how it was dealing with the the Klingon uh, world? Here's what I think. <laughs> I think that it's I think it's always problematic when you cover your actors completely in makeup, then you put things on their eyes and then you use voice changers on them. I think um, that it, it obviously it ends up impacting performance and not just of the actors who are in the makeup, it impacts the performance of the actors with, who yes. are around them. Uh, and I think visually, sure. I mean, look, I'll go with anything. I was the kid who said, oh, they're the movie Klingons. Um, but I think as a as a production decision that has an impact on how the audience is interacting with the narrative, I think those decisions were mistakes because we couldn't quite connect to them as real characters. And I don't think the other actors were capable of it either. And given how important the Klingons were to that first season, um, I, I think um, I, I'd be willing to bet if they could go back and do it again. <laughs> They would they would probably do it differently, or like they, they change the Klingon makeups now for the second season. I mean, yeah. I thought uh, the the difference is that the Klingons, this idea that the Klingons feared the Federation encroaching on them, uh, we come in peace. They make a big deal, and that was back to that was back in in, in Brian Fuller's conception of the show, and it, it it's in the the pilot uh, of Discovery. They seem to me to be out of character. They weren't, they were fearful. I, mean, you know, I don't think the Klingons would really be fearful of the Federation. They And they have things like this sarcophagus ship where they've got all of the, the these, these dead Klingon bodies, which we've already learned in, in Star Trek that they don't, the Klingons don't consider. They don't care them. about that. They don't yeah. care about dead bodies. They're empty husks. And, yeah. and I thought it was really like, 
like you use what works. Why did they feel the need to create these Giger-esque designs? You know, they redesigned the Klingons. This is just the fan in me. Right. When you've got already, I know everybody wants to make their their indelible mark, but the Klingon ships, the bird of praise they had, they, they, I didn't get they, them. They were not. They did not. They were not fun. They were not. You looked at these. I didn't weird want to Klingon build those ships. models. No, I didn't want to build those models, and I don't want to buy the Eagle Moss Klingon models either. And it, it's because there was nothing. Star Trek is. At its core, but Eagle Moss just put out a big Katinga that looks amazing. Have you seen it? No. <laughs> oh yeah. But, it, and, and, we don't have it yet, but I mean, it, the Katinga, Katinga burger model put is out the, the like the the, <laughs> the large. It's so freaking sweet. The one three hundred and fifty scale <laughs> model of the Katinga and the lighting kit comes out this month as well. Jeff and Bond. I can't get, can somebody get Jeff Bond on the phone? Oh, I'm sure he's already got it. But I, I do think that they were they were trying to reinvent the Klingons. I understand what they were trying to mm-hmm. do, but it's like it wasn't. Like you said, from a production standpoint, they had these full full masks that you couldn't you could not like the actor playing the Klingon because you couldn't see that actor, right? You know, and that was the real. Not but just... you weren't looking at him in the first few episodes because you were trying to read the subtitles. Yes, also true, and you couldn't quite make out the voice. So I mean, a lot of things just just added up that I think just made it difficult to to connect to them, and I and I, I it just didn't do them any favors at all. I, I just I wish. That they had, made, I wish they had gone a different direction. Right. You know what I wonder, and I even wonder if they what told Rafe that Needleman story. would have said, being <laughs> well, an Organian. You know what? We can probably ask him because I think I figured out his Twitter. I think he. Oh, did you? Yes. We got to get a hold of Rafe Needleman. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Hang on a second. You also had a main cast member, uh, one of the main cast members of Discovery, who was a Klingon that didn't know he was a Klingon, this surgically altered Klingon that had, was now a human being, who was having cl- crazy Klingon sex. You know, with his Klingon girlfriend before he had gone undercover as a human being, all of this, which, which by the way, the audience was way ahead of the the yeah. writers and re- way ahead of the show in this plot. All of that just seemed very superfluous. They were they were trying to reinvent the same thing that's true of, of Star Trek since two thousand nine. They're always trying to reinvent something that doesn't need reinvention. If you want to explore, like what uh, Next Generation did with Sins of the Father onward. I think re-exploring or looking into different facets of the Klingon culture was a good thing. That impulse was a good thing. And they just didn't do it. It was very murky. You're you're like, wait, you're going to light this beacon that suddenly can be seen on Earth? Like Sarek knows that they've lit a, lit a beacon because what, light travels instantaneously be throughout the universe? Light moves at speed of light. I, I mean, it just was strange What I want to know about is this Rafe Needleman. <laughs> so we he, haven't explained who that is, by the way. Oh, he's, yeah. No, he's the author. He's the, No, he's not the author. He's the trivia master. The he's man the Organian, who, the Organian, who wrote in 1980 the official Star Trek trivia book. And uh, Did it come out from uh, we, we've Wallaby? Talked, we, no, it's There's from Penguin Pocket Um so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you before we finish this episode. In reality, Rob, Star Trek. Who is Ivan Burkoff? Who is Ivan Burkoff? Ivan Burkoff was uh, Chekhov mentions Ivan Burkoff. He's an astronomer who actually discovered. Uh, I don't know. Well, you're you're right about that. But who is, who was what was the actual name? Ivan Burkoff. When he gets corrected. By oh, John Burke, there you chief go. astronomy at the Royal Academy of Old Britain at the time. <laughs> oh. And that's why we are the glorious Trexperts. <laughs> I knew, I knew, I just didn't understand what, what, what he, what did he actually 
find. Who the freaking cares? Right? But, no, Rafe, we have to know. Ivan Burkoff. Rafe knows. Uh, Chekhov says. Chekhov that, says it, it was uh, discovered by the famous Russian astronomer Ivan Burkoff almost 200. But what was he What was he discovered? Sherman's Planet. Planet. Okay, that, okay, Sherman Planet. That's what I yeah. didn't know. Which person from Star Trek was born on Martian colony number three? Uh, um, man, this, I'll tell you, this Rafe Needleman, he truly is <laughs> the trivia master. <laughs> and I think what we should do is we should expand this book to include trivia from the subsequent shows. To give it, a, we we will do. The, I'm sure they they there are trivia books. That there's never an Organian around when you need one. <laughs> well, yeah, um, it's the death penalty to go find. One. Okay, I, will they kill us if we I, contact I, him on Twitter? Do you want to? Do you want? What's the answer to that question? One the of the Martian colonies. I'll give you a hint. No, Sulu. Mirror Romaine. Yes, Mirror Romaine. That was pretty good. You're doing you're doing Lights of Zatar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good, good, good. Okay, well, good. Pretty good. We'll come back to the official trivia. The Lights of Zatar are constantly blinking to the left. I just want to say that I have actually written a Star Trek book that I get royalties for. Instead of plugging that book, the 50 Year Mission, I'm sitting here plugging an out of print book from 1980 by. Trivia master Rafe Needleman. <laughs> I feel like this is like the inciting incident for a horror film. We're going to go like looking for this guy, and we're going to find some shit that we just don't want to see. He's going to say, I, just... I, I hear you've been making fun of me on your show. That's not it. That's not it <laughs> at all. <laughs> you know who I am? You, That's you, your first trivia question. You said I'm not an Organian. <laughs> well, what if maybe I am? They call me the you know needle what? man. Here, look, look at it this way. If he were an Organian, he would have already appeared. Now I just want to say, <laughs> true. Look at look, look at this. Look at the great copy editing on this. The great copy uh, writing. How enterprising are you? Oh, I see what they did there. <laughs> a Trekkies trivia treasury to test your Star Trek savvy. Quite a see, lot that's of alliteration. Terminator, the Saracenic anxious authors. Are you informed enough to make even book. Spock quiver with emotion, or dull enough for Doctor McCoy to pronounce your, you dead? Now here's your chance to find out just how much you know about your favorite adventure series. Joey, so trivia there, master is there a Rafe Needleman. Trivia question that <laughs> Rafe Needleman asks. I, I, I'm sure there is, but you know, I just want to point to you, uh, Rob. Since you did not get the question, you're between zero and four percent. That is Denebian Slime Devil. <laughs> now, Wait a minute, I got half of two questions. No, no, okay, you got half. You so, so in fact, okay, you got half, half of it right. So, um, <laughs> you, so you did get the part that uh, you didn't get John Burke, but you did get. So you didn't know it was Chekhov who was who was claiming. And Mira Romaine, I knew. And Mira yeah. Romaine. Oh, you're right. So you fit fifty percent. So you would be rate your Star Trek IQ. You are Telosian. Congratulations, Telosian at fifty five percent. I'll take that. Okay, now you have gone one for one. So you're a hundred percent. Two for two, actually. Two for I two. Got the one last. Episode. So you're hundred percent Organian. You were an Organian. Oh. Much like your fellow Mike, Organian, much, much Rafe if, Needleman. If you were really an Organian, you would be stopping all of our arguments about all the shows. We had like, such a good show going. And you'd be like, no. You're assuming that I care. Yeah. Well, don't Wait, you? you guys, we're no. in the weeds here. Oh. We are in the weeds. No, well, we're, we're not, we're not shooting far in this game. I, I think this has been a, a, fans, a fascinating discussion about That's the clans. You, you brought me around. I've, I've come to realize that the Klingons are, in fact, really cool characters created by the great Gene L. Kuhn. Yeah. And uh, I take back everything I said about not liking Klingons. 
And okay. I, I, much as Captain Success. Kirk came to the realization that he harbored these innate prejudices that he needed to get over, I too have come to the same realization. And I did it without leaving my the doors of my quarters open while I was recording oh. a oh. captain's log so other people could oh. overhear it and record it and use it against me <laughs> in a hearing once I was arrested for murdering the chancellor of... Do anyway. you know something, Mark? Everybody's human. Yeah. Is the whole quadrant learning I to speak Klingonese? But I, I can always consult my Klingon dictionary by Mark Okren That's because right. apparently the universal translator can be detected. <laughs> Did you know? But I am convinced that Star Trek Six isn't as good as I remember it, Darren. <laughs> Did you know who actually invented the first uh, spoken Klingon language? Ray Needleman. No. Jimmy Doohan. It was Jimmy Doohan. Yeah, I know. It? He just made up words. Yeah. Which well, is, that doesn't but it count. should That's have stayed that. He's just should making up stayed, words. It should have stayed that way. I know. This whole idea that it's actually a language is ridiculous. There are people who actually know how to speak Klingon. I actually studied it in a linguistics class. Did not you like, really? Not like to speak it, but just I studied it, uh, studied it as a linguistic exercise, which is really fascinating. Now, can I tell you, if I had a chance between learning Esperanto or Klingon, I would take <laughs> Esperanto. So you could watch Incubus over and over and over, right. and over and so over and over So I could again. watch Incubus without the subtitles. That would be awesome. <laughs> well, I just want to thank... I want to thank Charles Nelson Riley and uh, and um, Paul Lind, otherwise <laughs> known as Robert Meyer Burnett and we ought Ashley to do is, Miller. We ought, we ought to do an audio track of Incubus in Klingon. Yes, yes. we should. <laughs> and uh, a they dramatic will, reading. They they will uh, no doubt return for future episodes. Uh, no doubt. Thank you guys. No um, I want to remind you, you can follow Inglorious Trexperts on Twitter and Instagram at Inglorious Trek, as well as on Facebook, where you can continue the conversation by suggesting show topics and give us feedback on every episode, except this one. <laughs> In addition, if you like what you hear, please rate us five stars at Apple. I should stop saying that because we're going to start getting all these one stars. They diss Voyager. They diss Walter Koenig. They said all these mean things. That, who was that guy in the music show who, who said Jerry Goldsmith was a drunk? I don't want to hear <laughs> You can hear. <laughs> you can hear. New and episodes. then the podcast went into the gutter. Went black. Uh, you can hear uh, new episodes of Inglorious Trexperts every Sunday wherever you listen to podcasts. So that was the candid, um, you know, where we just speak our minds because we're all successful enough that we can say stupid things. Now. <laughs> And if you're a fan of Star Trek Discovery, don't miss our all-new podcast, Disco Nights, which none of us are on, with host Chase Masterson and special guests every week, with new episodes premiering every Thursday night. It's actually going to be delightful. She has some great guests lined up. I'm really excited about it. I can't wait to listen and hear what they have to say about Discovery. I think it's going to be... I can. No, no. I can't wait. I, can, I can't wait. Okay, good. Now, now, Rob. Young yeah, mind, like fresh ideas. Song, be tolerant. Until Live and Die in L.A. Can't wait. Okay. And finally... Can't hardly wait. Ooh. And finally, and finally, and finally, finally, a very special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at the Electric Surge Network, including Miss Natalie, who's back there somewhere making us look good on the uh, simulcast, making the show possible. We couldn't do it without you. So until next week, on behalf of Darren, Rob, Paul Lynn, and myself, <laughs> we've recorded too many episodes today. Keep we on trekking, ingloriously, of course. Shh. Engage.
This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.